we're starting to read the uh, portion this week. We're reading the portion of Tetzaveh or Vato Tetzaveh. It continues talking about the story that we started um, about the construction of the temple, the Mishkan. That was the temporary um, place in which the divine presence rested. And then in this week's parsha, we continue talking about the construction of all the various different kinds of garments that the Kohen, the Kohen Gadol, the priest, the high priest that they wore, and other details of the uh, various, uh, still continuing as it relates to the construction of the Mishkan and its uh, garments in um, the, that process. So, um, but let's, um, we'll discuss something a little bit different and not, uh, the un- not as we usually do, we read. But I presented a ser- series of questions over here, sort of just to um, get you thinking. And, you know, some things informational and, you know, to help us bring out a point about this week's Parsha. Okay, so, so the first question is, is who is the most central figure of the Torah? Now, don't, if you know the answer, don't yet say it. First thing, does everybody, who do you think is the most central figure? Of course, God is the, but we're not talking about God. We're talking about a... I wouldn't call God as a figure. I mean, God is, is on a different category. We're talking about a human being. Who is the most central figure uh, of the Torah? The Torah itself. Yeah, but the Torah is, uh, relates. Who is, the, who is the one, the most important figure, the central figure in the Torah? You don't want us to say. Yeah, no, you can say no. I, I, I would want say first Moshe. Thing. You'd say Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Moshe. Yeah. Moshe, you never heard about Moshe? Moshe Rabbeinu was the one... Uh, Moshe, yeah. Moshe Rabbeinu too. But Moshe Rabbeinu means Moshe our teacher because Moshe got the Torah, Moshe took us out of Egypt. Now, did you know that Moshe Rabbeinu's name, Moshe, we find in every single portion of the Torah. Starting, starting from Shemos when he was born. Of course, in the first book, in Genesis, in Bereshis, that was before Moshe Rabbeinu was born, so he doesn't appear over there. But from the time that he was born in Shemos, in the first portion of Shemos, in Shemos, in Vayikra, and Bamidbar, in all these three books, in every single portion that we read in the Torah, every single portion, there is the name of Moshe. That does not include necessarily Mishnah Torah, and Devarim is a repetition over there, not necessarily. But in all the books, starting from Shmos, Vayikra, and Bamidbar, we have the name Moshe Rabbeinu at least once over there appear. And most of the time, a lot more than once. Question becomes, which portion is the exception? The only Sidra, his name is not mentioned, is, which is the Sidra is not mentioned? Is the in the Haggadah? But that God is not the Torah. What do you mean? No, no. Well, Which? This week's Torah. Yeah. Why would I be asking the question if it's not this week's Torah portion? <laughs> okay. So, in the portion of Alta Tetzaveh, in this week's portion, his name is not mentioned. And the question is, why? Why is he not mentioned? I mean, it seems a little bit odd if he's mentioned in every other portion. Why would there be one portion of the Torah? 
in which his name would not be mentioned. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu's name not mentioned in this week's portion? Okay, so next, is, uh, the other question is here is, what did Moshe say to Hashem he should do if he does not forgive the Bnei Yisrael for the sin of the golden calf? You know, shortly after Moshe Rabbeinu brought down the Torah with the Ten Commandments, that Moshe Rabbeinu said, I'm going to go up to the mountain for 40 days, in which he didn't eat, he didn't drink, and he was there studying Torah. Hashem was teaching him the Torah for 40 days and for 40 nights. Moshe Rabbeinu said to the Jewish people, I will come down after 40 days. Now the Jews miscalculated. They didn't realize, they, according to the Jews' calculation, the 40 days begin including the day that he went up. But the problem is, that day did not have a night with it. So really, it ended one day later after they calculated. But you know, Jews have no patience. You know, they can't, they have no patience. So Moshe Rabbeinu didn't come down exactly according to their, and you know, Jews also never make a mistake. So they're always so sure that their calculation is the correct one. So they saw Moshe Rabbeinu isn't coming down. They said, nah, he's not coming down. He's not going to come down anymore. And that's it. We need another God. We need another leader. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, eventually the whole story the Torah tells, they made a golden calf. That was the first big major sin. They just got the Torah 40 days earlier. They just were told about... They got the Ten Commandments, not the Torah, because he hadn't brought it. Yeah, well, okay, that's true. But they not have a God as over there. And the whole Torah is basically included in the Anoch Le'yilcha, and also at least the sections up to that point. But immediately, so close, after listening from God and Moshe Rabbeinu, he took him out, and right away, they're, you know, going another direction. So, and then what did Moshe Rabbeinu do? He broke the, tabro, the, the, the tablets, the luchot, he broke them, he didn't give them, God sent them down with the tablets, he didn't give it to them. And, you know, the story. And then, after all this happens, Moshe Rabbeinu goes and starts pleading with God that he should forgive the Jewish people. Okay, they were punished with this, with that. There were various different punishments, different things. Moshe Rabbeinu pleads with God to forgive the Jewish people. And then Moshe Rabbeinu kind of brazenly speaks to God. Sometimes, you know, you wonder, he speaks to God. He says to God, listen, if you're going to forgive the Jewish people, then fine, I'm in, I'm with you. But imayin... If not, if you don't agree to forgive them, because God was angry, God was angry. I said, I'm going to destroy them, I'm going to make you for a nation, and I'm going to wipe them out, you know, I'll make you. Moses just said, no, no, nothing doing. He said, nothing doing. He says, as uh, Rashi says, listen, if a chair that is made out of four legs can't stand, how would a chair, you know, the children from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, uh, and Moshe Rabbeinu, and now we're going to have just me, Moshe Rabbeinu, no, no, nothing doing, he says. God, either you forgive them, then fine. But if you don't forgive them, what does he say to God? He says to God, which means, I want you to erase me from the book that you have written. Which is the book that he's written? The Torah. Up till that point, anyways, was written. He says, listen, Moshe Rabbeinu says to God, I don't really want any part. I don't want to be involved. If you forgive them, 
then I'm in. If you don't forgive them, I'm out. Erase me. I want nothing to do with this. I'm out. I'm not in the Torah anymore. So, now, in the Talmud it says, a person has to always be very careful what he speaks out of his mouth. Especially, a person needs to be careful not to say like a curse out of his mouth. Because when you say a curse, if you curse someone else, or you even curse yourself, or whatever, you may actually sometimes, for whatever reason, be successful in your curse. So you have to be very, very careful with a curse. So, what happens, though, in a situation where a person makes a conditional curse? He says to a person, or about himself, he says that if I am not going to do something, okay, then I want to trip and fall and hurt myself. He curses himself, let's say. He says it makes a curse. But he makes it unconditioned. He says, if I'm not going to go to work today, I'm not going to get up to shul in the morning, I'm not going to go daven, then I am cursing myself that I should fall and hurt myself. That's what he says. And then you know what happens. Then the person goes and goes to shul. Does go to shul. Is there a curse then or not? So one would think, no, I mean, he only made it a condition. He only cursed himself, I don't want to say, or cursed the other person, only conditional on something. But if they didn't do the condition, so then it seems that the curse will not go true. But the Gemara says, a Talmud Chacham, a righteous person, a, a, a sage, is different. Even if he makes a curse, he says something bad. Even if he makes a condition, and then the condition is not fulfilled, still the curse might have effect. It could have the bad effect, because a sage has somehow more spiritual powers, and maybe his words are more meaningful, and he has to be more careful. And even though you made it a condition, but you said something bad out of your mouth, you said something, and you said this should happen, even though later on you put it on a... Uh, Depended upon if something happens, it doesn't happen, but it's already too late. So, in essence, the Bal Haturim explains when Moshe Rabbeinu said, God, erase me from the book if you're not going to forgive them, he made it a condition. He didn't say, he just said to God that if you're not going to forgive them, then I want you to erase me. But at the end, what happened? God actually forgave the Jewish people. He said, we had faculty. So it would seem that his curse to be erased from the Torah should not take place. It should not uh, happen because he sort of conditioned it on Hashem not forgiving the people, the Jewish people. But Hashem did forgive them. So if God forgave them already, so they should be no curse. But because the Gemara says that when a sage, somebody like Moshe Rabbeinu, says something bad out of his mouth, it becomes true, even on condition. So because he said, erase me. So in this Parsha, So in this Parsha, he's erased. The Parsha of Tetzaveh, this Parsha. So one Parsha, 
he's not totally erased because still, but somehow it has a bad effect. It has a negative effect, and somehow there is some uh, uh, happenings that take place because of that. It doesn't have to happen fully. It doesn't have to all, but some it takes place. So one part of the Torah, the Torah actually. How this partial was picked up, oh. especially from that one. Very good question. So that's the question is, if you look inside here, uh, why was this Sidra chosen? Sidra means this week's portion. So why was this Sidra chosen? I mean, you know. Uh, six, question six. Why was this Sidra chosen? Okay, so now we know it has that. Why was it chosen? So what's the connection to this portion? Now I'm going to ask you another trivial question. And the other trivial question is, do you know which day and which month did Moshe Rabbeinu pass away? Yeah? The 7th of Adar. 7th of Adar. Actually, today, tonight is the 6th of Adar. Tomorrow night will be the 7th of Adar. Tomorrow night will be... Today was the 5th. And the... So tonight is already the 6th. So tomorrow night will be the seventh already. Tomorrow night will be the Yorza of Moshe Rabbeinu. Now it so happens, like it's this week, it so happens that Moshe Rabbeinu's passing, by the way, we know, it doesn't say in the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu died on the seventh day of Adar. We, we calculate that based upon the mourning period, based upon when the Jews left into when Yeshua went into Yerichai. There's various, the Talmud, the Rashi brings down calculation to figure it out that it was actually on the seventh day of Ador. Matter of fact, we have Purim coming up. It is written that, what is the name of Purim? You know the name of Purim? What does Purim mean? Lots. Purim means lots, lotteries. It means a lot. What is a lotteries? Why do we call Purim the name of lotteries? By chance. Because that's the way he chose the month and the date. To yeah, he was trying to figure out, Haman, who wanted to annihilate all the Jews, kill all the Jews, he didn't want to just pick any day. He wanted to pick a day which he felt that he can sort of be successful with his evil plans. And he figured he'd go through the months. So he started going through the months. And in every month he had the Midrash elaborate, articulates. And every month he had a little problem. This is a good time for the Jews. This is a holiday. This is, he won't be successful. Finally, when the lots, when he was throwing, came on the month of Ador, it says in the Gemara, it says, the Talmud, it says he was very happy. Why was he so happy? He says, month of Ador, I'll be able to be successful because Moshe Rabbeinu died on the seventh day of Ad- on the month of Ador. So that's a bad month for the Jews because Moshe, their leader, died in that month. And therefore, I will succeed in my evil plans. That was uh, Haman's lotteries. So Purim, that's why he thought they threw the lotteries. Uh, but Talmud says he didn't realize that Moshe Rabbeinu actually passed on the seventh day of Adar, but he was also born on the seventh day of Ador. And the day of birth can atone for the day of death, which is a whole other explanation how that, how that inter- explained. Mm-hmm. The same day. So the how same. Long, how long? Uh, 120 how years. years. How long? 120 years. That's why you say, oh, you should be live long. Ah. Long. No, 120 years actually, because no, that comes from the Mabel. He lived 120 years. But after the Mabel, it says, Hashem says, I will not bring a Mabel, and I cannot take 
the anger of the person. So in the beginning, in Parshas Noah, after the flood. No, it's based on Noah. In the Pasuk, the Pasuk says that his days will be 120 years. That's a Pasuk in, in Parshas Noah. But in any event, okay, in any event, uh, but he also he also lived 120 years. It's not a contradiction. That's also true. But I'm just saying the pasuk says, yomav shana, that his days will be ruchi His days will be 120 years. Yeah. So I guess so. The Balaturim, I mean, the Balaturim points out this thing, but. Some of Forshim later on, the commentators want to say, well, since most years, the seventh day of Ador, which is the day of passing of Moshe Rabbeinu, comes out in the portion of Tetzave, that we read. So that was the portion. So Moshe Rabbeinu was, was missing at that point. He passed on. So maybe that's why this Parsha was chosen to have him sort of his name not appear in this parshim, but that seems to be I mean that's some of the commentary saying that seems to be mostly uh, coincidental it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like that that would be a, uh, a reason doesn't seem like that has a contents reason. We'll see a little bit later. But I guess I also wanted to mention that it so happens that uh, my father, may rest in peace, a blessed memory, also is your site, is on the seventh day of Ador. He shares the same yard with, with Moshe Rabbeinu. And uh, uh, one, of the, um, one of the things by Moshe Rabbeinu, it says that... Um, that God, God himself occupied with his, with his burial, that God himself sort of uh, took care of him. Because nobody else knew where Moshe Rabbeinu was buried until today the verse says, nobody knew, it was Hashem himself. So the Hebra Kadisha, that's the name for the burial society. They called them the Holy Group. Why they called the Holy Group? Because they do true kindness. They're called also the Chesed Shalemis, they do true kindness. Why is it called true kindness? Because if you do a kindness with a living person, maybe you expect something in return. But if you uh, do a kindness with somebody who's passed on, there's, it, can't pay, it can't pay you back in this world. So that's called the true kindness. That's why they're called the Hebra Kadisha. So, but it's a very, um, it's a very uh, special commitment and holy work that, uh, that people do. I guess men for men, women for women that are involved in, in taking care of the body once the person passes on. And that's what they call the holy group, the Hebra Kadisha, the Hebra Kadisha. But they uh, set up that their fast day, once a year, they fast because it's still a, um, a very uh, big responsibility because to give honor to the deceased and to uh, do things properly is a very important uh, mitzvah and sometimes Maybe uh, you don't fully do it, and therefore they have they fast once a year, and they chose to fast on the seventh day of Ador in most communities. Actually, Chabad does it on a different day, but but most communities they do it on the seventh day of Ador 
because, uh, like I said, Hashem was the Hebra Kadisha sort of, of Moshe Rabbeinu, so they want to coincide with, with that day, so they do them. And I remember when uh, my father, Olvashalom, when he was in the hospital, uh, he managed to, uh, uh, to be Sandik, uh, hold the baby for our oldest grandson. Uh, he held the baby, Anki, he held the baby. And the next day, or two, he went to the hospital and he never came back home. He was there for, um, you know, uh, actually under a month, but he was first at Madari's hospital, then they brought him into New York City, the hospital there, but Beth Israel, not Beth Israel, um, uh, but uh, in any event, um, but when they came to take him to the, um, to the funeral home, it was actually on the seventh day of Ador, and the Chavra Kadisha, they were still fasting, and he was part of the Chavra Kadisha. My father himself was always part of the, he was always part of the Chavra Kadisha for, uh, for anything. Just, just an interesting story uh, along those lines that when the Magid of Mizrich, that was the head of the, following the Baal Shem Tov, it was the Magid who was the teacher of many of the leaders of the various different groups, including the Baal Hatanya, including the Alter Rebbe, and, and others. And um, the, when the Magid passed away, there was a, a Magid, you know, a special holy person, so there was a big, it was a Din Torah, there was a law between the people of the burial society, which said that they have the rights to take care of the body after it's passing because that's their responsibility. And then the students of the, of the Magid who, who said um, that um, they are students and they deserve that. So they came and they, and the ruling was that those students who are part of the Hebra Kadisha are the ones that should take care. So they have both. And the Alter Rebbe was signed up to the Hebra Kadisha at a very young age and actually threw a lottery, which part, and the Alter Rebbe got the part of the head. But I'm saying, they're taking care, uh, it's, um, um, it's another thing, but I'm just saying, this job, the Hebra Kadisha, as I know there's, so it should also be, uh, today's class should also be a memory to, um, to his, um, his memory. But in any event, uh, that's, um, that's, um, that's about other. So, but in any event, so now, the question is, we just said that Moshe Rabbeinu's name does not appear in the verse. Does it mean that we're not talking about Moshe Rabbeinu at all? I think that's what Jane asked the question before. Are we not talking about Moshe or we're just not saying his name? What is the context of the, of the storyline in the Parsha? Is it in the Sidra? Is it not talking about him? No, it's actually the whole entire portion talks all about Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem is telling that they should bring this stuff to Moshe. Moshe should, should instruct them and Moshe should, 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 should supervise. It's all Moshe. It's all about Moshe. It's, everything is about Moshe. It's only that his name, the actual name, Moshe, Mem Shinhei, is not mentioned over there. Matter of fact, what's the first word in the parsha? he said? What is the first word? It says, Ve'ato, and you, Tetzaveh, shall command. You shall instruct. Who's and you? It's Moshe, God's Moshe. Moshe. 
God is saying to Moshe and you. Now let's think for a second. When you have, when you, when somebody has a name, your name that you have, the name, on a at least on a superficial level, doesn't represent really who your essence and your being, who you really are. Matter of fact, you only need a name to either have somebody else call you or introduce yourself to somebody else. But for yourself, I mean, you don't need a name for yourself. And your name doesn't always describe who you are. Yes, it says that parents get sort of an insight, a spiritual insight to name a child, that name that fits actually that soul and exactly. But that's in the mysterious level. But on the simple level, you know, a name is just a name in order... It's like a handle of a, uh, of a pot. In order, if you want to call somebody, you want to grab all, you want them to turn, you call them by their name, they'll turn to you otherwise. But what happens when you say you? You is actually talking about something more uh, intimate, more inside the person. We're saying, what is a person? A person is who they are, which means their intellect, their emotion, their, their state, you know, who they are. So when you say to somebody, you, that's even deeper, that's even stronger than just saying his name because the name is only a level in which it relates to other people. Saying the person, you, you're actually talking about who he is and really who they are themselves. So wait a minute. So here we're talking about Moshe Rabbeinu erasing his name that his name is not erased. And then what do we say, Va'ata and you? But okay, but Va'ata you is even more than so we're, we're saying about because the curse, because he said that he should be erased, and that's why he was erased. And, and but, but wait a minute, it's not really erasing him. We're, we're actually doing better than just calling him by name. We're calling him you. And we're saying Va'ata and you, the whole Pasha calls him you. Because the first word in the Pasha is Va'ata and you. Right? Yeah. It's referring to Moshe. Yeah. Right. So how are we erasing his name here? I mean, what does it say? But really, and the Rebbe's way of really deeply twisting things around, is going to show us that, you know, it actually wasn't something bad. But the Rebbe introduces actually something very positive over here. We're going to end up seeing that this parish is not something negative about Moshe Rabbeinu's name. It's actually expresses something just the opposite, something's positive. Um, because Rabbi says, let's let's examine for a minute. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to God, listen, if you don't forgive them, I want you to raise me now. What was Moshe Rabbeinu's? What was Moshe's main love? What was Moshe Rabbeinu's main goal and purpose in life? What was Moshe Rabbeinu? We know. To lead him to the promised land. Torah, we didn't do that, but Torah, Tziva, Lanu, Moshe. Moshe told us the Torah, Torah is Moshe. Moshe. Moshe is synonymous with Torah. Torah is Moshe Rabbeinu, because Moshe Rabbeinu was the one that taught us all the Torah. He was on the mountain. Torah and Moshe Rabbeinu are one. Moshe Rabbeinu sacrificed everything for the Torah. Now, so, now, okay, so you have the Torah on one hand. Then you have, on the other hand, you have evil people. You have people who committed a grave and a terrible sin. They made the golden calf. And they went against, they violated, whether it was the Erev Rav instigated, and then the other ones followed. But they did a terrible, terrible sin. They were evil people. And a lot of them got punished. So, 
why would Moshe Rabbeinu say to God, you know what, if you're not going to forgive them, who? If you're not going to forgive the evil people, then I don't want any part in the Torah? Why would he give up his part of the Torah for the evil people? They for, were punished. Huh? Evil people were punished. Yeah, but would, some of them were punished. Those had witnesses with a warning. Not, but there was only. But the rest of the Klal Yisrael was for, was forgiven eventually. That's why he was pleading with them. Those who were punished were punished. But the question is, why would Moshe Rabbeinu give up on something which is his main purpose of the study of Torah? That would seem. Why would he give that up for the for people that are sinners that are bad? They, they, they don't deserve. Why would he do that for people that are bad that don't deserve? Now, that's one, one thing. But the other question really is, what's the connection? Why did Moshe Rabbeinu say, if you don't forgive them, then I'm going to jump? I mean, what's, what is forgiving the Jewish people got to do with Moshe Rabbeinu being in the Torah? But these are two separate, two separate subjects. I mean, forgive them because I want you to forgive them. But why? If you don't forgive them, then take me out of the Torah. What, why, why should he take him out of the Torah because he's not going to forgive them? It doesn't seem to follow. It doesn't seem to have a connection. Because as much as Moshe Rabbeinu loved the Torah and as much as he was ready to sacrifice for the Torah, he loved the Jewish people even more. His real responsibility at the end was he was the leader that God has chosen to take out the Jewish people from Egypt, to nurture them, to be their faithful shepherd. That was his job. That was his main job. And therefore, two things. What really what Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, number one, if the Torah stands in the way for the atonement of the Jewish people, then he's going to give up the Torah because the Jewish people is his first love. That's his main, that's his main job. That's his first thing. And the second thing is because the love to the Jew is not hinged on the Torah. It's a deeper, on another level. So the love doesn't matter if the person observes the Torah, made the eagle, is violates the Torah, is a good Jew or a bad Jew. It doesn't matter. There's no such thing as a good or bad Jew. At that level, all the Jews, it's just his people. He is responsible for all the people. There's no such a thing as if you have a child, this is a bad child, this is a good child. Every single one is your child. And therefore, they come for first. So, really what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying to Hashem is, look, I need you to forgive the Jewish people. But if you say that the Torah doesn't allow to forgive, because they violated the Torah, the instruction was that don't make another God, and therefore the Torah doesn't allow you to forgive, then I don't want that part of the Torah. There is a deeper connection to them. Erase me from the Torah sort of represents that idea of my connection with them is not because of the Torah that I'm part of. Take me out of the Torah. I am connected with them for a higher level and therefore I want to I be able to pray for them even of those who violate the Torah. And in essence, when he said erase me, erase me, so that meant that Moshe Rabbeinu within himself, there were two aspects of it. There's one aspect, Moshe teaches us the Torah. So 
I mean, if we want to bring an example, you know, the parent set down rules. You got to do this, and there's consequences, so you set down rules. But it doesn't mean that once you violate the rules or um, you uh, go against it, that's why uh, you'll stop loving your child. That just means that, uh, you know, they're not following the rules. So basically, Moshe Rabbeinu was a teacher. He was a rabbi, and he brought the word of God. He encouraged everybody to follow the Torah, everybody to do the mitzvahs. That was his first connection to the Jewish people through the observant Torah mitzvahs. But there's a deeper level of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's not the name Moshe. That's Atta, who Moshe Rabbeinu really is, the higher level of Moshe Rabbeinu, the deeper sense of Moshe Rabbeinu, in where Moshe Rabbeinu is connects with the Jews because just because he's their leader, and that comes out. So from this curse that we're talking about, from the Mechenino, you know, it's not so simple as you think that just erase, we erase his name, not in a bad way, <laughs> in a way that something deeper of Moshe Rabbeinu comes out. In the Sikha, um, the Rebbe also explains, so what is this connection uh, with the portion of Tetzaveh specifically? Why does it come out in, um, in this level? Because um, Moshe, uh, Aaron, Aaron dealt with the Beis Hamikdash, with the functioning, with the with the holy things that they were there. But Moshe took responsibility to bring everybody in, not only to deal with those who are already in the holiness, those who are in the Kodesh Hakadoshim, those who are in the Mishkan, those in the Mikdash. Moshe Rabbeinu also worked upon trying to bring other people in and that's really the function of the Beis HaMikdosh and the Mishkan to have everybody a part in it not only the Tzadikim not only the righteous but everybody should have a part in it and be and be part of it and it's also interesting and I want to mention that and maybe we'll close with that that you know the Rebbe was like this Moshe Rabbeinu I mean the Rebbe loved every Jew and Rebbe gave attention to every Jew and he tried while, you know, when I speak negative, you know, other groups had other ideas about who you're supposed to reach out to and who is deservant and, and what status they have. The Rebbe was always the one who spearheaded uh, uh, to reach out and to bring in to God's children. The Rebbe loved everybody and he wanted to make sure that others would join and be part of this. And um, the Rebbe would teach and uh, the very last pamphlet the Rebbe personally gave out with his holy hand to everybody who passed by was the pamphlet that begins with and the Rebbe gave plus two dollars to people to give for charity and after that unfortunately the Rebbe suffered a stroke and then eventually uh, you know, it, things weren't the same anymore from that point and on. And uh, in that talk that the Rebbe gave, that was the very last talk, the Rebbe brings down with a whole uh, letter with different ideas, but he says, that you shall connect. Tetzave means to connect, but the word Tetzave also means to bring together. And what the way the Rebbe translates over there in the Mimer, 
is that you, Moshe Rabbeinu, you are going to connect the people with God and the people among themselves as well. Both, Tzava, you are going to connect. And the Rebbe also brings out over there, Kosis Lamoyer, he brings down that sometimes, you know, like an olive, when you squeeze, you get out the oil and then you can light. He brings out that sometimes the real depth and the real goodness and the real power of the Jewish soul comes out, not when everything is okay, but sometimes during difficult times, during times that are challenging, you can really see the really who, who we are and how we um, respond. And that is helped by Moshe Rabbeinu. Every generation had its challenges. In most cases, unfortunately, the Jewish people suffered a lot of persecution. They suffered a lot of tsuris from the enemies, from without, from within, a lot, a lot of hardship. And the Rebbe was there to continue to be the Raya Mehemna, meaning the feeder of the Amuna, to keep telling the people that they should continue to believe in God, to believe that Mashiach is coming, to believe. He kept on pushing them. That was the leader. That's the Moshe Rabbeinu in every generation. And in our generation, is no different. That fortunately, Baruch Hashem, we live in a situation in which, in a free country, especially those who live here, but in many places in the world, it's not, anyways, it's getting a little bit more dangerous in a lot of places, in Europe and other places. But still, uh, the um, situation is a lot better than it used to be in the, in the Middle Ages, in the times before, in which uh, Jews had no protections and they were the, uh, the target and they suffered abuse by all kinds of different enemies. But today we also have the challenge. We have our Amuna is challenged from the other way because... People don't have time for study. People don't have time to explore. They just um, trying to uh, make the dream, the American dream. And I think most important is that, you know, there's a lot of ideas that we pick up from the outside. We are no longer insulated. We no longer are in control of what ideas are kosher. Uh, people check on the package, make sure it has a OU, okay, something kosher. But ideas, we don't check them out, if they're kosher or not. We just have our minds taken. And a lot of ideas are really foreign, foreign. And sometimes we were surprised ourselves, you know, what is the goal, what is our purpose in the world, you know, to accumulate more wealth, to go on vacations, to have good times, or, you know, what, what is really, what do we really want? But the Rebbe had a very uh, difficult job to inspire the people and to get them to continue to do classes that we're doing now, to continue to daven, to learn, to reach out, like Moshe Rabbeinu, not give up on anybody, and hopefully that uh, uh, we, we can be part of that, uh, of that renaissance and part of that experience to um, do the little bit that we can in increasing ourselves, our community, and our environment, and um, helping with that connection. But connecting with one another, that's the message of the Parsha. Okay.